Hello and welcome to the Season 2, Episode 2 of A Republic to Keep. I'm your host, Liam Bauer, and thank you to our viewers for tuning in with us today. This week, our topic deals with a hotly debated subject in state and local education policy. The topic today is critical race theory. But before we get started, let's go around for some introductions. Brian? Hi, my name is Brian. I am a third year at Marquette University Law School. Thank you. And Miranda? Hi, I'm Miranda, and I'm a senior at Marquette University. Thank you. Tommy? Hi, everyone. My name's Tommy. I'm a sophomore here at Marquette. Thank you. And Joe? Hi, I'm Joe. Um, I'm Marquette, class of 2020, and I'm a 1L at UIC Law School in Chicago. Thank you all for being here today. And also to our viewers, if you like our show or would like to listen to our past shows from Season 1, you can follow us on Spotify Podcast under the title A Republic to Keep. Also follow us on Twitter at Republic Number 2 Keep to get updates and info about future shows. Started in the 1980s by a group of legal professors, critical race theory seeks to assess how race and racism in the United States has shaped legal policies, social attitudes, and social structures today. Some core beliefs of the theory include Racism is ordinary and embedded in U.S. institutions. Racism privileges whites over people of color. Those in privileged groups have used the law to prevent change in the status quo. And race is a socially constructed concept. Critical race theory first branched out of the legal realm in 1995 when Gloria Lanson Billings and William F. Tate applied the theory to the field of education. Since then, the theory has been applied to a wide variety of academic studies, such as political science, gender studies, and sociology. In the past several years, critical race theory has influenced many workplace and university programs, such as diversity and inclusion training, racial bias training, and racial sensitivity training. The theory has also inspired current academic works, such as the 1619 Project, which studies slavery's continuing legacy and effect on the United States. The teachings of the theory have not only been implemented in private business environments and universities, but have also been introduced into various K-12 through school districts throughout the nation. Today, many school districts are debating whether or not to adopt the aspects of critical race theory into their curriculum. At the state level, 28 states have introduced bills and eight have passed laws to restrict the teaching of critical race theory in public schools. 15 states, however, have taken action to expand education on racism, which have included elements of critical race theory. On September 28, 2021, the Wisconsin State Assembly passed AB 411, which seeks to restrict teaching critical race theory in public schools and withholds 10% of state aid to school districts in violation of the law. Proponents of the theory assert that it is necessary to recognize the historical and current effects of race in our society in order to move for forward towards fixing past wrongs. Further, they claim that we must not censor teachers who impart true history of the United States onto their students. Opponents of the theory argue that it will provoke racial resentment, undermine American values such as individual liberty, and teach children that the United States is a racist nation. So to start off our discussion today, is critical race theory correct in its core tenets or does the theory misinterpret historical and current social realities? Could we start off by, I don't know if you said this in your introduction there, but mm -hmm. what even are the core tenets of CRT? Of course. Because every website I find says something different. There is. So the 
six central core tenets by some of the founders list that first racism is ordinary and embedded in U.S. institutions. Second, racism privileges whites over people of color who have and whites have little incentive to change the status quo as a group. Third, race is a socially constructed concept with no inherent basis in biology. Fourth, dominant groups racialize minority groups at different times in history, really to the labor market needs. Fifth, there is intersectionality, which means uh, people have overlapping conflicting identities. And sixth, people of color have a unique perspective that should be told through storytelling and highlight perspectives that aren't usually seen in society. So those are the six, from what I gather, those are the six core tenets of some of the founders. Um, and of course, there is other tenets that some parts of the theory and some branches of even critical race theory espouse as well. So what are we thinking? Are these uh, are these tenants correct? Is there a misinterpretation here, or is this run on the money? Um, well, before we start off, um, I think I just want to clarify. You're right that critical legal theory started out in the 1980s, but critical theory as a whole actually um, has its genesis uh, a bit earlier. In, in about 1937. Yeah, 1920s to 40s. Um, philosophers like... Parkheimer, and then, you know, you have, like, Derrida and um, Marcuse, and, um, you know, it comes from, I mean, all these people were basically uh, wavering Marxists, mm-hmm. and it, it adopts a lot of the core tenets of Marxism, which, of course, at that time was very chic, um, and I think that people from Miranda and my side uh, see that pretty clearly. I think that a lot of people who... Um, come from communist nations, several of whom uh, are in my family, see that very clearly. Um, And I think that much like Marxism, it's uh, packaged in a good way. You know, oh, we just want social justice. We want everybody to be equal. Uh, We don't want racism, all things that I'm sure that we can agree with. But uh, the solutions that it provides are basically just as totalitarian, just as anti-liberty, just as um, destructive in the end. Uh, as as its predecessor. So are you so, really um, sorry? I think I think that to answer your question, I I don't think that its core tenets are true because I think that it's fundamentally dishonest philosophy, um, and I think that its core tenets have been proven to be untrue if you get beyond sort of just the packaging of it. Mm-hmm. And the basically the base of critical race theory has its roots in a theory critical theory that is based on Marxism beliefs, and therefore the roots of the theory are no good, therefore the tenets of this theory can be no good. Well, I mean, basically, critical theory, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's just a it's just a method of applying, you know, there's critical hist- historical theory, there's critical gender theory, there's critical science, you know, there's critical legal, as you say. So, um, you know, it's you can't really separate the the race part from the critical part. And I think that critical theory has several um, underlying beliefs and assumptions that it has and tactics that it uses that makes it um, not only incredibly illogical, but incredibly dangerous. So, I mean, I, I see, at least from my limited understanding uh, that critical race theory is kind of a way for us to see history at least from my view, as it's kind of happened, you know, as it happened um, in a more, 
um, I don't want to say literal sense, but in a more just realistic sense of like, these are the facts, this is what happened. Um, I, am I wrong at thinking that like, you know, we can talk um, about, we can I, teach? I think, yeah, go for it. Sorry, go ahead. I, I think to some extent you're wrong. Obviously there are, there are stories that unfortunately haven't been told in our traditional view of history. And I'm not saying that those, those stories shouldn't be told, but I think that, you know, in terms of historical reliability, one of the most, um, Prominent uh, critical race theorists in today's world is, uh, what's her name, Nicole Hannah-Jones, I think, of the 1619 Project. Mm-hmm. And her 1619 article was lamb- lambasted by historians for not containing any really good history. And I think that that's kind of the point of critical theory in general. Yeah, the truth is less important than um, the agenda that they're trying to push. And one central aspect, though, of critical race theory, uh, of the modern critical race theory, is storytelling in that trying to incorporate more perspectives, which people have said been left out of our history and our society for a long time. And the old trite saying goes, history is written by the victor. And I think critical race theory, well, at least what it proposes to do is try to incorporate some of these lost perspectives. At least that's what it tries to do, I think, in certain ways. Um, well, I think that it, it markets itself that way. But mm-hmm. if you look at the actual tenets of critical theory, they say so themselves, that the purpose of critical theory, and you look at people like Robin DiAngelo they, they, in a book that uh, she wrote with another um, person, and I can't, I can't find her name. I have these notes here, but they're all, all over the place. Um, she wrote a book in 2012 that basically says that uh, our liberal democracy is one that um, is, you know, fundamentally racist. You know, we have these white man freedoms, et cetera, et cetera. And that basically we should teach this critical theory in order to, uh, as a means of fundamentally reorganizing the way American society. I don't think that their goal is um, offering new perspectives, which I'm actually in favor of, and that can be incredibly, uh, you know, edifying and, and enlightening. But I think it's fundamentally to gain power for themselves and to uh, enforce some sort of social revolution. And you can already see this taking place on campuses and major cities. Um, the the need for these critical theorists in general to enforce ideological uniformity is uh, it goes way beyond simply the you know somewhat benign um, desire to offer new perspectives. And I think that. That's obvious. If I could add to that, that's what I was going to say to answer this this first question, is that obviously I think the storytelling aspect of that is great. I mean, this is a, I remember in elementary school, I think it was fourth grade, we watched a movie and it was a, it was a kid's movie animated. And these kids who were in 2008, whatever the year was at that point, um, they go back in time and to the civil rights movement and they do some sort of butterfly effect thing and they come back to the future and the civil rights movement never happened. And you get to see there's the the black characters who end up going to a different school all of a sudden. And there was the Hispanic character who was the janitor um, in, in the white person school and that kind of thing. And I remember like, and that's, uh, those are showing different perspectives of what it would look like, I think. And, and like, I remember seeing the Hispanic character and being like, whoa, if that had never happened, I might not be in the school or something like that. And you can relate to that, but then I think there's 
a difference where, where I think critical race theory crosses the line is not necessarily the storytelling and bringing different perspectives and letting people relate to those perspectives, but saying um, this happened in history and now because you're white, you're a racist or you automatically benefit from a system. And like those are just those are conclusions that come from learning that history. So learn the history. But then when it it forces those certain conclusions on students, too. And and I mean, if you ascribe to that, it's really an opinion, things like white privilege, systemic racism. And you can like those are the things that can be debated all day long. But mm-hmm. when you're using these stories as a means, not just to show different perspectives, but to achieve a purpose of a political goal. That's where I don't agree with critical race and where I think it where it's wrong. So it's kind of you're saying that there's an agenda there. Yeah. And it uses this, I guess, these core tenants and their narrative of history to achieve that agenda. Right. Okay. Well, I think, and and I'll I, I'll I hope to hear from the the other side. Um, I'm interested in their perspectives, but I think that you know whether or not there's an agenda isn't really in question. They say so. Mm-hmm. Um, these prominent theorists say that there's an agenda, and it's to achieve some sort of social revolution in the United States. Um, you know, and that sounds very dramatic, but it's it's really not. We've had several social social revolutions in the United States, um, but and and sometimes for the good, I think usually for the good. But I think that what they're driving at now is very scary. Mm-hmm. And so you're saying that because, and I can uh, I could play devil's advocate here and then say, well, is there not an agenda with, in a way, with every history course? Are we not told, for instance, in the United States that the capitalist system is better and really put forth an agenda to show that overall. I mean, I do personally believe capitalism over things like socialism for a variety of reasons. However, it, you, it's hard to say that that's, capitalism isn't promoted over socialism in the U.S. context and U.S. history classes. So doesn't, oh, absolutely. Yeah, and doesn't then every theory of history that we even teach kindergartners through hundred-year-olds, isn't that really have an agenda as well? And this is perhaps a piece of one of those teachings? Well, I don't personally think that history should be taught um, to promote any agenda. I think that history, like any other form of knowledge, should be taught um, for the truth as best as we can without you know, sugarcoating it or anything like that. But I also will say that um, not all agendas are equal. I think that capitalism has a uh, better track record than things like Marxism. And I don't think that any, that can really have much serious debate. Um, you know, I would I would oppose a sort of fascist theory of history being um, taught in uh, our schools as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I don't disagree that there's an agenda as well. And, and I would prefer in my perfect world not to have an agenda at all. But if I had to choose, I would much rather choose the current one or the previous one than the critical uh, version. Mm-hmm. And Tommy, would you like to give an opinion on any of the core tenants, whether those tenants should be really promoted if there's if they hold water, really? Um, yeah, so, well, I'm going to talk about actually what Joe just talked about. Of um, <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so, I don't know how to say this exactly, but when we are fearful of, like, promoting or not promoting any specific type of learning, are you not worried that that is inherently giving in to a fascist agenda because that would mean we're only learning that single perspective and that could be monopolized by the state. Like, are you make, does that make um, sense to you? 
Uh, because that's inherently mean... my problem with not learning about critical race theory. Because I'm someone who believes we should learn about everything from Marxism to fascism. And I feel lucky that that's where my education has been. And so that's why I'm able to understand why certain things are good and certain things are bad. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with you that we should be able to learn all sorts of different things. And I don't think anything should be hidden. Um, however, I do think that uh, there's definitely a bias towards and an enforcement of a particular point of view, particularly on the secondary and university level, toward critical theory. Um, and I don't think that we're given uh, all of the opportunities that we can. I think that you have several, you know, administrative parts of every university that basically is only function is to enforce the tenets of critical theory. And to me, yeah, obviously, I think that there's always a danger of some sort of fascism rising in any country. But I don't think that that's the main danger right now. I think that almost all the institutions from, you know, Google to the universities to, you know, a large segment of the of the print and uh, TV media are completely dominated by this critical way of thinking. And I think that that was their point. I think that they wanted to do that because they've been very influential for a very long time and we're starting to see the fruits of their labor. So you're saying the media and some of these big companies such as Google is has taken on this critical race theory and is using that right now. Well, I think I think obviously, you know, I think, you know, um, diversity training, for example, is, is a 10 billion a dollar a year business and it doesn't really produce anything. Um, it's hired out by these companies and these universities um, to forward an agenda um, and teach it as if it's truth and to enforce it on people um, who might not otherwise believe it. And, you know, even things like Twitter, if you if you violate a certain tenant of critical race theory flagrantly enough, then you're you're liable to be banned. Um, you're liable to be fired from your uh university so from your job or expelled from university so what what would somebody be banned from twitter for saying that is against critical race theory well you could um you could say something uh against black lives matter um especially if you're prominent which you know black lives matter as a concept i'm not against but i think it's been hijacked by um nefarious forces um i've seen this many times um and you know even even if some of the things that people are banned for, especially on social media, I think it's I think the bar is a little bit lower in the uh, employment world. But even if the things that people are banned for on, say, Twitter or something are on the extreme end of the, say, right wing, the extreme end of the left wing is critical race theory. And I could I could tweet out, you know, one of the one of the, you know, all white people are racist or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um and I would not be banned from Twitter. I'm sure that a lot of the people at Twitter, especially their moderators, uh, believe the same thing. And that's an extreme opinion to me. Now, if you have an extreme opinion on the other side, which I also find abhorrent, then you're liable to be banned or fired or anything of the sort. So I, I don't agree that um, that, you know, I, I, I don't agree that, you know, we're all being taught things equally or that, you know, there's a sort of really rah-rah pro-American agenda being taught in our schools or, you know, forwarded by our society right now. I think it's the exact opposite. So I don't think that that's a danger. If I could bring it back to your original question, Tommy, mm -hmm. um, 
I this is kind of getting into the second question on your agenda here, mm-hmm. Liam, yep. um, about if it should be taught in schools. And I will say, like, I'm against banning critical race theory. Um, but what I think the, the problem, which I think Joe and I have been bringing up, is that it's being taught not as here's something that's going on in the world. Here's what some people think about it. And here's what other people think about it. It's this is what's going on and this is what you should think about it. So I work at um, at my job. I've been doing research on this all summer and there's actually a slideshow um, <laughs> of different examples of critical race theory being taught in schools. So, for example, um, in the Burlington School District, uh, one of the teachers asked a fourth grade class, how do we stop systemic racism? So automatically assuming that systemic racism is a fact, not saying here's what systemic racism is and some people don't agree with it but just like how do we like how do we stop it as so there's that and then i have another one here from a high school classroom um that was asking people to define institutional racism and that was like part of the learning objective in regards to the black lives matter movement and things like that so it's just like it's things like that where I mean, if, if, especially if you get into middle school, high school, if you want to take a class, a class on critical race theory and you want to learn those things, great. But when it's, it's so ingrained as fact in schools, or it's, at least it's becoming to be, and that's what I, I just think that people should have a choice if they want their kids to be learning that kind of thing or not. And if they don't have a choice because the schools are assuming these tenants automatically, then that's where, where I have a problem. Um, I'm going to just be honest. I yeah. disagree with you. That's fair. I (laughs) believe that those are all important parts of American history. And so we should, I mean, we should learn about them in high school at least. Mm -hmm. Like how can we not talk about institutional racism and not talk about Jim Crow and then slavery and redlining? There's so many aspects of institutional racism that is the reason why we are in the world we are now, or at least America as we are now, that I feel like if we leave that out of the picture, we're not really getting American history. I understand well, what you're we, saying. We were taught that before in any way. Yeah, but the, the, the tenets of, I think what Miranda's saying is that it's not, it's not a matter of opinion whether or not that institutional racism has existed in the United States, whether or not it still does. What she did I think say, that the latter is taught as fact. What she did say, though, it, it sound, now correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounded like you're questioning if systemic racism was a thing or not. Is that true or not? In today, yeah. I mean, there, I mean, I'm just saying that there's arguments against it yeah. and to say that it's a fact when there's obviously debate and opinions on whether or not that's true Yeah. and to, autom- and to automatically assume that opinion on students as young as fourth grade. Yeah. You know, that's where, I mean, like I said, people can learn it. I don't care. I mean, mm-hmm. this is America. I think, I mean, it's obviously a theory that's out there and people should learn about it. Like you said, it, it is an important conversation. I mean, I talk mm-hmm. about institutional racism all the time and that kind of thing, but it's it's not I don't see it as a fact of something that exists in our world today. And like I said earlier, I think it's part of an agenda to say, so Jim Crow happened 100 years ago. And that's why today you're still oppressed if you're Hispanic or black or Asian or Native American or whatever else. And it's a mentality that's I think is being forced onto students. Well, there's also a lot of well, I do. I would say that there, let's make the distinction between de jure and de facto. De jure is upheld by laws, which racism in the past was upheld by laws. We had, red, well, not redline wasn't much so much law as a practice, but we had social practices, of course, like redlining, and we had laws like enforcing slavery, enforcing of segregation, particularly in the South. Uh, and then 
we got rid of those logs, thankfully. And then, so there has been pretty much universal, um, I won't say management. There's been a universal crackdown against danger discrimination. We really don't have those laws in place anymore, but there is still lingering effects. I mean, Brown v. Board of Education, de jure, ended discrimination in public schools. But 10 years later, public schools were almost universally segregated in the South still. So there are still these lingering effects. And I think those lingering effects, the de facto, is what we're even still dealing with today. We have wide discrepancies that are self-perpetuating, I think, for um, different races and for different socioeconomic classes, which are tied together. And so we get into what are we going to do about that? And we get into the argument of anti-classification versus anti-subordination argument. And Joe, you might know about this from law school, where anti-classification is a race-blind society, where we treat our everybody the same. We do not give preferential treatment, even to right past wrongs, but everybody is looked at as individual, regardless of the race. So race-blind society, anti-subordination is a more um, liberal approach, not liberal in like the economic sense, but liberal in the Democrat liberal sense, um, where you're looking in progressive sense, where you're looking to right past wrongs and in a way, bring up certain classes and even the playing ground a little bit more. So things like affirmative action would be <clears> something <throat> in the realm of anti-subordination view. I feel like I feel like my problem is that with laws like we see in Wisconsin with, um, I think you said AB 4, 411 or yep. something. Yep, um, that's the 411. 411. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're, they're banning... The aim is to ban the conversations that you just went over. Mm-hmm. You know, you explained to us the de jure, the Brown v. Board, and, like, you know, how it's was taken out, and now there are still effects and stuff. And But I feel like the law, like, in Wisconsin um, that was proposed and passed by the Assembly is looking to stop those conversations. Um, so, I mean, that's the problem that I have, is now... now Okay, you can you can debate whether or not you think that it's right or wrong, or whether teachers should have this automatic, um, you know, assumption that institutional racism is a thing. Mm. Um, but then now laws like this are saying, no, you can't talk about that. You know, we we have to take out words like equity and words like uh, anti-racism in our schools, which is something that um, one of the co-sponsors um, actually has the in his sponsor. Yeah, yeah, he says. Obviously, that's not in the bill itself, but it was in his um, addendum to the bill. Let me, yeah, go let me I'll explain a little bit. Yeah, so a, uh, the Assembly Bill 411, which has just recently passed the House, was a 60 to 38 vote in favor, um, and it passed on September 28th. Afterwards, uh, before it went to the Senate, the Senate is yet to vote on it, before it went to the Wisconsin Senate, the which uh, uh, his name was, let me see here, sorry. Like witch, witchers or something? Wickers. Uh, Wickers. Wickers, yeah. Anyway, uh, Congressman Wickers, um, not Congressman, <laughs> Assemblyman Wickers, made an addendum to it. And this addendum, he says, these concepts should also be construed as the critical race theory, which is prohibited. And it's a list of 89 different concepts. Among them are social justice, equity, anti-racism, whiteness. So there's a lot here. And looking at that, uh, I'd be kind of scared if I was a teacher looking at that list saying, well, what can I be sued for? And this law also, among uh, this 
Department of Education, well, the Wisconsin Public Department of Public Instruction, its ability to take away 10% of a school's uh, state aid if they violate the this bill. There's also the ability of parents to sue, sue school districts who are in violation of this law if it becomes law. And I would be pretty scared if I was a teacher, especially teaching history, and I might be more inclined to skip over a lot of things mm-hmm. if I'm seeing these requirements here and if I'm seeing this addendum. So I definitely agree. I'm, I'm, as you guys know, I'm very pro-free speech in many ways, and it, I don't think it's a great idea to ban these things. Maybe there should be some sort of conversation or maybe some local level decisions at the school district level on what to do with younger kids because these are very big concept and if you throw this at a young kid they're probably not going to know what to do with it and my there could be adverse effects there too um so you had to start off small and maybe introduce small parts of this theory uh but there's a this also is a very wide theory with a lot of different levels too yeah i think when just to cut you off first sorry yeah. um I think that Joe, you obviously have a like a deep understanding of critical theory, critical race theory. I don't think Cong- or Assemblyman Wickers does, and I'm just <laughs> I'm thinking that, that's probably fair. Yeah, <laughs> Joe, I, we need you up here. Yeah, you do. <laughs> um, I think that when you see these laws against pro or, or yeah, um, critical theory, critical race theory. Um, especially in Wisconsin, you see things like this, where it's like, oh, well, you have to, you know, you can't teach um, critical race theory, you can't teach this critical view of um, our history, is how I see it, um, <clears throat> because then you're, in, you know, you're indoctrinating these students to um, be anti-government and anti-institutions and, you know, um, self-hating, all this stuff. Um, but that's how I see it, and that's, mm-hmm. yeah, go for it. Oh, um, so, yeah, uh, admittedly, I, I don't know a lot about the bill in general. I live in Illinois now. I have for over a year. Uh, we've got much bigger problems, uh, unfortunately. But, you know, from what you've told me, just a cursory, you know, I, I, I'm not against it being taught in schools, but I'm against it being taught in schools as fact. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I remember, I, I mean, I went to a small Catholic school, so I can't speak for the public school system, but I remember learning about all of these civil rights things and, and mm-hmm. Frederick Douglass and all this stuff, you know, and this was before critical race theory had really taken a, uh, taken a hold. Um, so I think that, you know, and Liam, you were talking about uh, de facto and de jure mm-hmm. racism and institutional racism. I, I won't disagree that there are absolutely lingering effects of, you know, even even to this day, slavery. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that the problem with critical theory is that it concludes with, I think, little to no evidence, and in some cases, just false evidence, that um, these inequalities that still exist in our societies between certain groups is the result of present racism and, and, and present discrimination. I'm not going to argue that in isolated cases and in, in some places more than others, that still goes on. But I think that it's certainly up for debate whether or not the, um, the inequalities that we see today are the result of, um, you know, actual institutional practices to, you know, keep down black and brown people or, you know, simply lingering effects from previous times. You know, um, somebody's grandfather 
grew up during Jim Crow, couldn't get a good job. They didn't live in the best place with the best schools as a result. So therefore, you know, the father didn't get the best education, even though he grew up in the 70s and 80s. And then the son after that didn't get the best education. But I think that there's a big distinction between the effects of previous institutional racism causing the inequalities that we see today and the effects of current, you know, omnipresent racism Mm -hmm. that is that is inside every single white person that they say. Um, that that is the main and present cause of the inequalities that we see today. That's my main beef with um, teaching critical race theory as a fact, which I see a lot of and I saw a lot of actually at Marquette, Mm -hmm. and um, just teaching it as another theory um, that, you know, you might be able to learn something from, but this should be, you know, examined, pardon the pun, but critically. (laughs) Um, So that's what I have to say about it. and I think I think that uh, you know there's a great deal of misunderstanding um, on my side about what it actually is and how to address it. So I think that you're right about that. But I do think that um, there are some people on the other side who know exactly what it is and would love to uh, have it be mandatory and enforced mm-hmm. by um, institutions, either public or private. One thing I do like about AB four one one is that it does mandate that school curriculum and worksheets are posted on the school's website or online or made uh, immediately available to parents upon request. I do think that parents, especially if you're looking at somebody before high school, should know what their kid is learning in school, mm-hmm. too. So, there, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying AB411 is all bad, and I think there are certain requirements, too. And, for instance, it says that Uh, We should not be teaching that certain races are inferior. I think we can all agree that that's a pretty good lesson. We shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, but it's when you get in the nitty gritty of these laws and what they actually mean, what they actually, why the vote was 60-38 on long, strict partisan lines, is when you get into, for instance, the 89 uh, term addendum. So so that addendum was after it was passed in the House that it was added? One second, let me... It's right here. I asked because so, I was at the hearing in August. For, August 11th, yeah. Okay, I was at that hearing. So, sorry, it was before. Okay, so so it was... August 11th was when... Um, it was added. Chuck, yeah, Whit- Whitgers put it in. Interesting, okay. My my job, we were there was a second bill at that exact same hearing that was just for curriculum transparency, so that's what we were working on all summer. Mm-hmm. And no, honestly, none of us like this bill uh, at all for all the reasons previously mentioned here. Um, but I, so I just thought that was interesting because I don't even remember that being brought up at the hearing. Although I'm sure it was literally seven hours long, so I probably just yeah. glazed There's over a... at some point when it was getting brought up. Don't blame you. Those yeah. hearings, you know. Yeah. When you look at a bill too, if you're if you're like me and you actually go and read through the bills, there's a lot of things that you, that you can very easily skip over. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Leisurely nighttime reading for Liam. <laughs> reading budgets <laughs> and bills. And Joe, too. What am I talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, we, we appreciate you. Uh, anyway, let's yeah. look at also uh, a more, I guess, pr- for lack of a better term, a pro-critical race theory, or at least pro-that side of the aisle um, teaching structure curriculum. So in Illinois, uh, Joe, you might be more inclined for this one. There's been two bills oh, that look at least in part at look, addressing critical race theory or some different perspectives in historical teaching. Uh, Illinois passed the TEACH Act this past General Assembly, 
and requires Asian American history to be taught in K through 12 schools, the contributions of Asian Americans, and also the discrimination of U.S. Uh, against Asian Americans in the past. Also, HB 2170 it does a lot of things, but among them, it uh, re- requires teachers to teach about the pre-enslavement of black peoples from 3000 BCE to 1619 AD, the African slave trade, slavery in America, and the study of reasons why black people came to be enslaved, the vestiges of slavery, and the study of the American Civil Rights Movement. So in Illinois, they just passed both these bills to address these histories and really looking at Asian Americans and black Americans. Um, we are probably going to see, since there's a rising Latino population in Illinois, uh, we're probably going to see a bill about Latino history as well come up too later um, mm. in the coming years. So, so I actually, mm-hmm. oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, sorry, you. I am I am a little familiar with this. Um, so um, could you just go over, so, oh yes, no, no, never mind, I remember. Um, so particularly... Something that stood out to me when you were talking about this, and I didn't know about this, was the pre-enslavement of black people from 3000 BCE mm-hmm. to uh, 1619. Um, I Slavery, unfortunately, has been a fact of human history, yeah. and it hasn't only been perpetrated against African Americans. Unfortunately, African Americans were the victim of the most industrialized and, um, you know, modern form of slavery. But um, people all over the world since the dawn of time, have been enslaved. So um, I, I think that that gets to a point of how is that relevant? You know, I think that the enslavement of Americans is very relevant to American history, and I think that it's very relevant to... Uh, enslavement of Africans is relevant to New World history and European history and stuff like that. But, um, you know, if you look at the pre-modern age, it's an absolute fact of life. I also will say that um, I, I have no objection to learning about, you know, the contributions and the, and the difficulties that all different races have faced in the United States and abroad. But I do think that it needs to be relevant. I think it, you know, it can't just be teaching it for the sake of teaching it. Um, you know, I don't think that you should be teaching about, you know, the, in some point in, you know, say it's not even American history, say it's the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, let's examine this through the lens of, Japanese Americans. It's like there were no Japanese people in the Roman Empire. It's not relevant. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that unfortunately, this sort of this sort of emphasis on you know wanting to explore things through different lens can actually somewhat, at certain points, hinder an actual good study of history as the facts. And I also think that it tends to, in practice, single out. Europeans as specifically evil, where, as I was talking about earlier, the practice of slavery has been practiced everywhere by everybody. Well, I think going back then to 3000 BCE would perhaps latch onto that because, I mean, slavery was practiced in Africa even before we came, uh, well, before colonization happened between African nations, usually after wars, war prizes would be enslaving the other parts of the other tribe. And that's how that's we actually got our, well, I don't want to say we got our slaves, um, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is how the United States, um, like back when slavery was yeah. unfortunately legal, that's how they got slaves from African tribes that had slaves from other African tribes. 
And mm-hmm. when you go back to ancient Greece, ancient Rome, they all had slaves. I mean, when you look at the totality of world history, the most discriminated and subjugated group is probably the Jewish people. I mean, overall. Uh, and that yeah. even continues today. So, but when I think the point here for the Illinois bill is to say right now the study of black history in our classrooms is dominated by slavery, at least at the start, where we start. And this is looking at, well, there's more to black history than slavery. Slavery wasn't the start of blacks in, like blacks in the world. And there's, there's a whole huge thing that we have to look at before that, too. I think that's what they're really trying to say. And also, black Americans make up a significant portion of America, too. So that's why it's relevant looking at their past history. Because we also look at our past history. We all know about ancient Greece and Rome and, like, to be frank, white history much more than we know about history back in Africa and in Asia, at least from the K-12 through level, in my experience. Well, I think... I think that, you know, part of that is, and, and I, I, I promise I'll stop talking soon, guys. Um, <laughs> oh, please. No, I love it. I, I, think, I think that part of that is that, unfortunately, because of some of the unique geography of Africa, among other things, really through no fault of their own, um, African societies and civilizations, which did exist and should be taught of, mm-hmm. um, didn't develop uh, record-keeping. Um, and, that, and that, that's true for a, a lot of societies all over the globe. So, you know, I think that, you know, part of it certainly it could go towards a, um, you know, a preference for European history uh, historically. But also, you know, there's not a whole lot that we know about African civilizations other than that what, what we know from their contact with um, societies that had writing and, and good rep- record keeping. and. Mm-hmm. Even the African civilizations that did have writing and re- record keeping, the climate of Africa, it just destroys it. I mean, it, within centuries. So there's just nothing really left. So I think that, you know, there's only so much that we can know about it. Um, and I think that when you don't know a whole lot about it, people tend to, and you see this all the time with prehistory, they tend to theorize, they tend to make certain things up. And I don't think that that's that's useful for the study of history as a whole. Um, I think we should teach what we know. um, And as long as it's relevant, you know, um, but I don't think that, you know, you really have enough to fill as much knowledge, as many books, um, than uh, as many books as we have about ancient Greece and ancient Rome, just because of things that were outside of our control. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, that might be true, but I'm still thinking of all of like the West African empires and how they aided in the spread of Islam and like these like kind of mm-hmm. somewhat essential aspects of history that I think are left out of a lot of like high school history classes. Like, yeah, I agree. Those like, I mean, they should exist though. So is that something they'd be for? Because like those we know of, but a lot of people don't know what the Empire of Mali was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mansa Musa. Um, I, I'm I'm of the opinion that historical knowledge and teaching in this country is due for quite a reform. So I would be over the moon if they could teach about Mali and, you know, the, the spread of Islam or even just, you know, even just better basic American history. I mean, 
I, I won't I won't tell you how many people don't know why we celebrate July 4th every year. Um, <laughs> You're making me depressed. So, you know, that's not necessarily something that needs to be taught in fourth grade, um, but in high school, et cetera, I think I wouldn't be opposed to that. But I think that, you know, unfortunately, there's just not so much. And you want to be careful that you're not trying to fit a square peg into a round hole here and, you know, kind of waste some time um, on things that we just can't know. Indeed. Mm-hmm. So I guess to get to our last question here, how should schools teach about racial history and current racial issues? And should critical theory be used or is something other method preferred? And should we address these issues, these racial issues? I mean, I, for one, definitely think we need to talk about racial issues. Um, If we aren't, I don't think we're doing, school is doing its job of creating informed citizens that, you know, are going to be voting one day. Um, (laughs) But that doesn't necessarily mean they should be taught facts or like taught opinions as facts. I think we all agree on that. We might disagree on what's an opinion and what's a fact but um (laughs) i do think yeah yeah it is (laughs) um i do think that they should be taught all the perspectives that um would be critical to understanding the world today so like for example i think understanding africa is important to understanding the world and so they should learn about that it sounds like we even agree about that yep I think um, I think maybe, you know, Joe's got a point that sometimes the youngest of our students aren't going to grasp certain pieces of history or certain discussions, you know. Um, so but but in the high school and upper levels of, like that, I think discussing things, you know, the conversation around things like housing segregation and funding of public schools and um you know, different things like that that are seen within the critical race theory, I think, discussion. You know, what um, people are trying to further is, you know, public understanding of these, um, I don't want to say post de jure, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> something mm-hmm. like that. Um, that make a good lawyer. <laughs> you in law school, bro? And I think, I think those things should be taught. Like, I never learned about. Uh, Milwaukee being the the most segregated city in the United States, I don't really have any information to back that up, but I have heard that. Brooklyn is 2019. Yeah, yeah. Um, so things mm. like that, you know. And why is that? If you're saying that we don't have laws that are pu- like explicitly enforcing that segregation, like why is that? And I think those are conversations we do need to have in our schools. Maybe not Milwaukee specifically, but around the entire country. That is um, a reality that maybe you know there are these different segregations whether or not they're enforced by the government or in institutions, I think you can say, you can debate whether that's pub, um, fact or opinion, but I think the conversation needs to happen, which is something that I think the the 411 bill in um, Wisconsin is trying to prevent. So, so any uh, final thoughts from the panel about ways forward? Um, I'll just say how I think, you know, I think that history in general should be taught that human beings start from a point where human beings are, are animals, 
whatever, who are capable of really good things and really bad things. And specifically with um, American history, I would start from the presumption that the um, ideals upon which America is founded are good. I know that that's a bit presumptuous and, and maybe a little bit of an agenda, but I think that, you know, we're in America, so whatever. Um, <laughs> so I think that we should be taught that our fundamental ideals that were set forth in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution are good, freedom of religion, treating people as individuals, freedom of speech, etc. I will also say to how humans can be bad that very often, and even still sometimes today, we have not lived up to those ideals, mm. and that America is a project founded upon such ideals and constantly working to achieve them. I don't think that we should teach that the ideals themselves are bad and that the people who thought them up were bad. They were flawed. The ideas are flawed. But I don't think that they're fundamentally bad. Mm. And I think that it should be taught with a certain perspective to say that times change, people change, morality changes. Um, it doesn't make what happened in the past good. But it's something that we can learn from, and we should especially try to learn how those people came to the conclusions that they did um, and how we grew away from those conclusions and how we can examine certain conclusions that we may hold today and how we might learn to, you know, change those. Um, so I think that we have a lot of agreement on, you know, the imp importance of teaching this stuff. I think that where we may disagree is um, whether critical race theory is a uh, good method of doing so, or whether it it achieves what it's what it says it's trying to. Very well said. Well said. <laughs> well said. Good said. Thank you. Well, I think we definitely all. It seems like we all agree that there's censorship is a bad thing, and that all perspectives yep. should be welcomed at the table. And that's how we all learn, how we all grow, and how we all progress. And I also think that in terms of own education, in a lot of ways, when you go to school, there's a lot of facts and numbers, et cetera, that you do forget just as human beings over time. What school really teaches you is how to think and how to teach yourself also. I think that's really the ongoing learning that you never stop learning. You never stop getting educated until the day you die. And right now we have the most powerful tool of any human being at the axis of most of our fingertips, and that is the Internet. And with that comes great responsibility. But also, if you don't know what Mali is or, you know, much that much about slavery, about the Cuban-Spanish-American War. Yes, I say Cuban-Spanish-American War. If you don't want to know why, look it up. <laughs> but if you, don't, if you don't know about those things, then Google them. Educate yourself, and better yet, talk to somebody of a different economic background, a different racial background, a different ethnic background, and see their history. That's how you're really going to grow, and that's how 